Monday edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you back again for another week and ready to roll. Jonesy starting to warm up a little bit. Canada's kicking some butt at the Olympic Games. The Raptors have a busy week starting tonight. And a lot of games coming up over the course of this week. The back-to-back Wednesday, Thursday. Another one coming Saturday. Three on the road before the home game on Saturday. So lots going on and we are still awaiting the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, normally, in any other year in, in, in recent memory, in history, this would have been the morning after. We would have been recovering from the Super Bowl being yesterday. But with the extra week, the Super Bowl a week later, we get to wait yet another week. And uh, so lots to talk about on a Monday morning. Lots to discuss. And oh, yeah, by the way, the NBA trade deadline just a few days away and there are only just a just a couple little rumors and rumblings and then of course a pretty significant deal actually happening forget about rumors jones an actual trade which only bolsters or strengthens the fact that i clearly need to start giving the cleveland cavaliers far more credit respect attention than what i have over the course of the season i think i'm ready to put to bed the I'm not believing in the Cavs, and I'm ready to eat my word storyline. I, I, I don't know that I'm going all in on them, but they continue to win. They continue to impress. And the move they made on the weekend in acquiring Karis LeVert, I think, was an outstanding trade for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you you were reluctant uh, before I was. You, you're still kind of I'm, – I'm all in because – I knew that at some point uh, the pendulum was probably going to swing back a little bit. Uh, We were going to get back to something that we view as a little bit more traditional. I mean, the the Cavs playing basically with Mobley and Jarrett Allen, a throwback to Houston's play with the the Twin Towers with Samson and Elijuan. One of them big but a little more mobile on the outside and I would say that would be Mobley um, you know they 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 grind you defensively they pick you up tough on the perimeter and if you beat them we'll, we'll chase you we'll make you work but we're not going to foul you because we have not one but two guys back there who could erase mistakes so I, I'm, I'm a little more in on them and then you know both you and I knowing JB Bickerstaff from his days way, way back, we call him friend of the show, uh, when we were in that little little, uh, little cramped studio <laughs> that he used to come on with us and, and knowing his dad, Bernie, as an old school coach. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised that he's, he's kind of, all right, well, we're going to do something a little bit different because we don't have the tools or we can't. And that was the thing. Everybody wanted to play like Golden State in the copycat league, but... Not everybody has Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson. So you get teams hoisting threes, and the volume of threes has gone up. And maybe a little bit, the makes have gone up. But still, the, the game is changing that way. And Cleveland's just saying, you know what? We're going to try a different way because we don't know if we can do it that way. So I'm, I'm in on them. Uh, they are not the proverbial flash in the pan. And I like what they did with I, – I, I like the move, too, for, for Karis LeVert. I, I, I like what they did there. Um, but speaking of standings, E, how about, how about uh, 
the hometown Toronto Raptors suddenly vaulting up the standings above the line, holding down the spot that is number six right now in a guaranteed seven-game series to start the playoffs. None of this play-in stuff. So um, it, what, what a run it's been. And we talked about it on our vlog. Five games and seven nights, and they ran the table. It's unbelievable what they've done. I mean, and as a quick aside, too, I'm sure we can get into this, but we're not like – and, and not that there's anything wrong with these programs, these shows, or otherwise. We're, we're not, we're not like e entertainment. We're not, you know, entertainment tonight, whatever. But what a weekend for Fred Van Vliet, too. Not only does he find yeah. out on Thursday about making the All Star game, then he goes out and gets engaged. Then he confirms that he's in the three point contest. And oh yeah, by the way, as you just mentioned, his team has won five in a row, and they sit in the sixth seat. So Freddie's got everything rolling for him right now. But Jonesy. What, what I find as interesting, and maybe this is, I don't know, maybe this is me being guilty again of not being, a, this isn't pessimistic, and this, I don't even know what this is. I, I don't know what the word is. Maybe it's just me not liking nice things sometimes. As, as thrilled as I am for Raptor fans, and, and heck, I'll even say for you and I, because I've, I've, I've made no bones about it over the years. I prefer calling games for a winning team. It's more fun. It's more fun when the team's winning and when the team's hey, competitive than when they're winning 20 games, right? We've got a job to do either way, and it's still fun to cover sports, but is it better to be covering a 45-55-60 win team or a 15-20-25 win team, right? Yeah, no. Yeah, we do, we do it all the time. People say, oh, they'll call one of our colleagues out in another market and go, oh, he's great. And I, uh, you know, not to, not to be the, the negative Ned or the, to throw water on the fire, yeah, he's great, but he's calling close games every night. You know, he's got a superstar on his team, and they're near the top of the league. Like, that, anybody can do that in our business. You know where you earn your money? When your team's 22 and 60, and you're trying to keep it entertaining and give the fans hope, and every night you're pulling stuff out because you're getting beat by 20 points. That's where you earn your money. Yeah. So... Yeah. And so trust anyways, me, we've been there. <laughs> oh, we've trust been there. Yeah, we've been there. We've definitely been there. We've definitely and, been there. And, and we talk Try about all you about young. <laughs> yeah, all you young Raptor fans that are like 21 now. And, oh, this is great. And remember them at the beginning of the year? Oh, this is awful. Like, what's wrong? I'm like, what do you mean what's wrong? You're, there's three games under 500. Like, <laughs> you think you can be at the top of the mountain all the time? Wait till, wait till, the, uh, wait till the Ferris wheel takes you to the bottom. The very bottom at some point. Let's hope the Raptors never get back there, but you can never rule that out. All right, so the point I was going to make about maybe not liking nice things, but this isn't just Raptor-centric. You could say the same thing for the Heat, the Bulls, the Bucks, the Cavs, the 76ers, and the Raptors, the top six seeds right now, the locked-in seeds. Are you going to stay there? Because look at the no. next four. Yeah. Brooklyn, Boston, Charlotte, okay, and Atlanta. Like, again, we've talked ad nauseum about the Hawks having gone to the conference finals last year. Maybe they were living a little bit too large this year and thinking it was easy and thinking they were just going to be there again. But at the beginning of the season, find me one person, one, that didn't believe that all three of those teams, Brooklyn, Boston, Atlanta, wouldn't be a top six or at the very least, top eight playoff seed this year. And many felt Charlotte was likely due for a rise, and we've seen them rise. I think many felt that based on what they did last year, New York would be in the mix. 
Washington would probably be in the mix. Indiana, with the talent they have and where they were just a couple of years ago and with a new coach coming in, Rick Carlisle, they might be in the mix. Like, we're talking about 10, 11, 12 teams when the season began. And, oh, yeah, by the way, nobody really expected a drop-off of the Heat or the Bulls or the Bucks or the Sixers. So I look at it now, Jones, and I go, as, as throws them for the sixth seed, and I would love to see the Raptors climb higher. Are any of these teams dropping out? Is Philly going to drop? Is Milwaukee going to drop? Is Chicago or Miami going to drop? Cleveland clearly is not dropping in, in spite of what I might have thought a week ago, a month ago. So now it's like this dogfight you're going to be in, all these teams, not just Toronto, all these teams, oh, the dogfight oh, over the last two months, it's going to be interesting. Every day we're going to be looking at the standings and seeing who flip-flopped from the five seed to the sixth seed, from the ninth seed to the seventh seed. It's going to be crazy for the last you know eight, ten weeks of the season. And, and this is what the NBA wants. And, and you know what it's going to prevent as I look at the standings right now with teams like Washington, who's 11 right now, the Knicks, who are 12, maybe the Pacers, if they can put a few wins together, but, but certainly with Washington and New York, you have 12 of 15 teams, 80% of the conference, 80% of the conference feels like they're in the running for the playoffs. And it's going to prevent tanking because what do you want to do? You just want to get into the play-in to get – to have a chance and to give your young players some experience. And if you're Wes Unsell Jr. coaching the Wizards, you want to show that your first year was successful by making having a playoff game. You know, Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks are trying to get back to where they were last year to show that it wasn't a fluke. And, and you've got people who were, weren't in there last year crashing the party this year in, in, in Chicago and, and and Toronto and Cleveland, it's 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 uh, it's it's very it's very different. It's very different, and it's it's prevented the. I think it's taken back on some of the tanking, or oh well, we'll lose for the draft pick. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's it's going to be uh, it's going to be crazy. It's one of those things. Just the music stops, the lights go on, and we'll see where everybody is. Yeah, it's 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 going to be wild to watch what happens. Uh, with the entire Eastern Conference. I mean, over on the West, I don't know if we can consider it as wild per se, but at the same time, look at 11 games below 500. The New Orleans Pelicans are in the play-in tournament right now. 21-32, and and they're the 10th seed. The Blazers have dropped out. San Antonio out of there. Sacramento, no. It's the Pelicans, 11 below, and the Lakers... Still two below as that ninth seed. And I wonder, Jonesy, I wonder what kind of run the Clippers might have a chance to go on right now. They've been ravaged by injuries all season. But there's another move that was made as we approach the Mm -hmm. trade deadline on Thursday with former Raptor Norm Powell and Robert Covington both going to the Clips. I love that trade from an L.A. perspective. Not that they didn't give up anything, but I'll tell you what, at this stage of their respective careers, I'd rather have... Covington and Powell, and I mean, to me, it, it sh- certainly seems like it's a fire sale to some degree for Portland, because otherwise I don't know what they're doing. Like, they, they gave up, I would argue, the two best players in the trade. So if you're just simply then uh, trying to free yourself of money and acquire draft picks in addition to a couple of older, you know, veteran-type players, then you know what? You're, you're in fire sale mode. And I'd be 
surprised if we don't see a move for McCollum and or Lillard by the time Thursday rolls around? Well, uh, you, you never know. Uh, you, you, you just never know. I mean, things have kind of gone sideways there. They started with the way the team played. Uh, and then the general manager getting fired. It just seems like they're, they're struggling right now to find some, some vision and some direction. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about the Clippers. They hang on to Norm Powell and Robert Covington. They eventually, and it may not even be this year, get Paul George back and, and Kawhi Leonard next year. That's, that's a pretty good... Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good uh, core of solid veteran players, two of which could be stars, and the other two in Powell and Covington that certainly know what it's like to be role players and certainly would take on a role and play a role well for a championship coach in Ty Lue. I know, I know he's not getting a, a lot of love right now, but Ty Lue's done a really good job considering what he's working with and and the clippers are they're ahead of the lakers they're you know they're they're kind of right in the mix there in the play-in tournament ahead of all those other teams you mentioned the lakers they who continue to sputter you know like win one lose one win one lose two they they just haven't got it together uh but but i give ty Lu some credit for what he's been able to do Let's let's take a different angle on this too with that uh, with that Portland LA trade. We can jump back to Karis Levert and the deal with the Cavs too, and get a little more on that. But Jonesy, when we think back to a year ago, and Norm Powell going to the Portland Trailblazers for Gary Trent Jr., both players end up signing new deals with their respective clubs, and a year later, Portland deals Norm Powell with Covington to the Clips. Like, am I missing something here? Does this no, not make not that sure. deal look even worse from a Portland perspective? Like, like yeah, what are they as doing? You, as you, yeah, no, as you said, I, I don't know what's going on, Ian. As I, we mentioned earlier, it sure looks like Portland is Portland is trying to find something. Or, if not, without the direction, they're just saying, all right, you know what, uh, let's, let's take it down and see if we can... And if you said if there's a move from a column or Lillard, let's let's see if we can get some stuff and really try to rebuild this. We hated to, you know, take it down because it's easy to strip it down. It's much harder to build it back up. But they, I don't know. They might be in that mode right now. Here's the thing, Jones, and you know, we, we reference this probably daily or at the very least a couple of times a week. And you and I are in lockstep with this. So so reel me in if you have to. I don't want to go down the fantasy trade path. But am I wrong to think that, all right, if you're trading Robert Covington, solid role player, two-way player, three and D type guy perhaps as well, Norm Powell you could even kind of throw into that similar type category, a guy that can go out and get you, you know, 12 or 22 on any given night. You're trading away two guys that are solid players, solid rotation guys, both could easily be sixth men or legit starters with manageable contracts. You're dealing them away. To me, then, you must be making a move for Nurkic and or McCollum and or Lillard because I would argue 
that if you ultimately don't trade those guys away, like, listen, if you don't because the right deal's not there, I'm not saying you should just make any move for the sake of making a move. But I look at it and go, hold on a second. If you're actually thinking about trading Lillard and McCollum and Nurkic, then wouldn't you still want to have something in your cupboard, i.e. players that can still perform, players that maybe uh, would, 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 would be able to show a little bit of an uptick in their performance, players that have manageable deals? So wouldn't you want a Norm Powell still around? Wouldn't you want a Robert Covington potentially still around? So if you're willing to deal those guys, then I'm just naturally assuming you are willing to and or trying to deal your stars. Because at some point, you have to either build around Lillard or hit the reset button. And you've had him long enough, and you've attempted to build around him, and you've had some success, but not the ultimate success of getting to, let alone winning, a championship. So if you're willing to deal Covington and Powell, then shouldn't you just now be willing to deal anybody and start over? Like, am I reading the tea leaves wrong here? No, no, and that's exactly what I see. It, it sure looks like uh, it sure looks like something could be done, uh, or, or I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if something is done with them just because of the road Portland might be going down. You know what I hope is that they um, are patient with Chauncey Billups, you know, because I've talked about this, and, oh, boy, if people could have had a uh, – wonder how much we could have – we could have made selling our group chat last night with me and you and and uh, and Boffo and Lance Kennedy about what's going on in the NFL and the hirings and stuff like that. But I'm I'm going to relate it to the NBA where the uh, representation and and correlation uh, is is much more positive. But again, I take a young African American coach like Chauncey Billups who got an opportunity and now things have fallen apart for him. You know, I just hope if that's the case and they're going to tear it down, that they're patient with him if he's indeed going to be given the chance and, and given a long run, a long time to do it. I, I'll give the Toronto Raptors credit when they hired Dwayne Casey and they were 22 and 60. And the next year he came in and went in putting his team together in a week, went 23 and 43 and then built it up to they came within one game of being a 60-win team mm-hmm. six, seven years later. That's patience. And I, I would just hope that if the Blazers are going to strip it down and rebuild it right from the foundation, right from the bottom, and Lillard and McCollum are gone, whether it be at the trade deadline or this, this, uh, this summer around draft day, the other de facto trade deadline, that they're patient with him. Uh, you know, I, I, our friend Stephen Silas, E, all right? He goes to Houston, gets hired for the job, thinks he's going to have Westbrook and Harden, and a year later he's got the number two pick in the draft. Like, that's that, that those kinds of things are, are difficult. So, I mean, it's not like Jason Kidd, who stepped into a job that had Luca and Porzingis and had a team that was... Uh, you know, he had something to work with, and and the Mavs are doing well right now. They're they're fifth. Uh, they're they've become one of the better defensive teams the last little while. Uh, so that's that's kind of that's kind of a different story. You know, Monty Williams takes over in Phoenix a few years ago. He builds it to a certain point. Boom! They make one move like the Suns did the year they got Nash back in two thousand four or whatever it was, and it and it takes off. So if you're going to do that, be patient with the coach. Uh, give give that person time 
and, and direction and where you want to go. And then if they don't agree, they can leave. But it's not, it's not well, we're getting rid of you. Because uh, I would say, please be patient with those with those people. So, yep. uh, Port- and Portland too. E E, we've been to Portland. Is there any town that loves as the only game in town that loves its team more than the Blazers? Is there any town different? Like they they just love that team out there. Yeah, you know the only the only one I can find comparable, um, as you say, to the only team in town because you know clearly the Raptor fan base and so many others are fantastic. But with the only game in town, Utah's right there as well. Salt Lake City, yeah, with the Jazz. But like the the Blazers are, yeah, they're 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 up, you know up, kind of woven into the fabric of the community big time. And and listen, I love the town too. Like I love the city. I love the fan base. I love the building. I'm not here to to, to poop on the team. I like they've been great for a long time, or at least good for a long time. I just don't understand the direction they're going. Like I, I, again, actually, let me rephrase that. If they don't trade McCollum and or Lillard and or Nurkic by Thursday, then I don't understand the direction. Because if you're attempting to build around the pieces you have, the star pieces you have, then you just got rid of two pretty damn good pieces. So if you're getting rid of the the, the smaller players with the manageable contracts that are good ancillary pieces, then it makes no sense. You got to be getting rid of the stars. Unless you're now trying to hit the quasi-reset button of trying to build with different core pieces or, sorry, different secondary pieces around your core. So, like, Trent wasn't good enough, so you traded him for Powell, who wasn't good enough, and Covington, like, what? It, it's, it's not adding up for me. It's not adding up. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to give them a little time, E. Uh, to, I, I'll, I'm willing to give them till June to see what's going mm. on. Like, that's... Because that's the other time, and we've talked to uh, draft people and GMs and personnel people around NBA teams that realize, uh, well, once the draft order is set, people know exactly where they're drafting. They can target guys differently. So I'm, I'm kind of willing to to give them, uh, give them a, a you know a little bit of leeway. But I mean, when you look at their salary structure for next year, uh, in 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 22-23, Lillard and McCollum are making between the two of them $75 million. And then they've taken on Eric Bledsoe, who's an expiring contract. Um, this is next year I'm talking about. Larry Nance yep. Jr., his contract is done after next year. They're going to obviously give Anthony Simons, you know, they're going to have to deal with him. Uh, but the guys they traded for, uh, Justice Winslow, his deal is up next year. Keon Johnson's on one of those those rookie deals. And at the end of this year, Ben McLemore, Tony Snell, Cody Zeller, uh, Dennis Smith Jr., they're they're all they're all gone. Those 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 deals are off the books, as is Nurkic. So you Nurkic would be one I would keep an eye on with an expiring deal. But this this could be the you know, this could be the teardown. This could be the just very subtle teardown. We'll see. We'll see what's going on. They will be an interesting study uh, over the next few days. 
Well, we could probably say that most teams in the league are interesting right now in terms of what they might want to do or not do as we approach Thursday's deadline. Throw the Toronto Raptors into that mix as well. The New York Knicks might be one of those teams. Five games below 500. They've lost two in a row. They sit in the 12th seed. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we talked about them briefly earlier. The Los Angeles Lakers, a couple of games below 500, but in the ninth seed in the West, coming off a victory over that other team I just mentioned, the New York Knicks. They played on Saturday with uh, the Lakers beating the Knicks 122-115. That was an overtime game. Another game where Russell Westbrook struggled mightily. One of ten was benched in overtime, uh, but the Lakers still got the the job done, got the victory, a triple-double for LeBron James. Uh, In the loss, R.J. Barrett with a team-high, game-high 36, but again, it came in the loss with the Knicks now sitting five games below 500. Barrett clearly needs some help. Randall actually played very well that night against his former team. 32 and 16 points and rebounds for Julius Randall. But I wonder if the Knicks are looking to do something, Jonesy, if Barrett needs some help. And speaking of Barrett, before we talk about the Knicks, here's LeBron James on Saturday after the game talking about R.J. Barrett. I've been on RJ for, for quite a while now. Um, I was in Toronto during the summertime. Um, I think he was a high school junior or a senior. And um, and it was a call to uh, my agent, Rich. Well, he wasn't my agent at the time, but um, that it was a kid in Toronto that is uh, possibly next. And... Um, it was off season. I was in Toronto, just having a good time in Toronto. Um, but I was going to the gym to get some workout, some work in, and they um, called Rich and asked, "Could he join?" And uh, I was like, "Absolutely." Um, so I've been knowing him for quite a while, and I followed him, you know, throughout those last few years of high school, and obviously off the Duke, and now as a as a as a Nick. So um, you know, he's just, I mean, he's a young, he's young, so he's going to have, you know, you're going to have your you know, bumps and bruises throughout your course of your, your, your career. While you're young, you're figuring out the game, you're figuring out the speed, you're figuring out the tempo and things of that nature. But, you know, I think he's handled it extremely well, especially, you know, being it's a different it's a different light and a different heat when you play uh, for the Knicks. And um, I think he's handled it extremely well. We wanted to play that, Jonesy, for the audience that might have missed it. Uh, obviously, LeBron James yeah. talking about the, the local kid. Uh, you know, give give RJ a little bit of love. But I, I, I like the last part of that, too, when, you you know, focusing on the job he's doing with New York. And, and, and I don't want to sound like we're the rah-rah Canadian guys here, but I think the pressure that goes with being in New York, even Kevin Weeks was talking to us about this a couple of weeks ago in a, in a different path when it comes to hockey and just being an athlete in general in New York. RJ's, you know, doing a job right now. For a guy that's not like the, 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 the brash out there kind of, you know, the, 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 the big personality, He's handling things, and you're not hearing a whole lot of, of negativity about him specifically, even though the Knicks are struggling. And it would be nice if, you know, selfishly for him, let alone for the team, if they are able to do something. What, I don't know, but to get their season righted or their path fixed, because they're kind of like, I don't know that they're rudderless right now, but they seem to kind of not be totally sure what they are right now or what they need to be. Because they had some success last year, and now it's kind of going sideways, then back on track, then another way, then back on track, then sideways again. It's kind of been up and down all over the place this year. Yeah, it has been. And here's what I will say. RJ, uh, you know, with his dad 
uh, with the stuff he's uh, been exposed to internationally, uh, going to Duke. He's, he's pretty well equipped to handle New York. Not that it, it, it's, it's been real tough for him, partially because of who he is. He's just kind of uh, played, literally played the game the right way. He has, uh, he understands the media and, and how to, uh, in that sense, play the game with the media, how to treat the media, um, to sometimes say the right thing, not sometimes, to always say the right things, to keep things in perspective and uh, turn the heat in other directions, to steer, steer media down another road. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I just take the Julius Randle incident, you know, with him thumbs down to the fans and then not talking to the media for eight of ten games like that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And even if you want to come out and be honest, instead of saying, oh, you know, I was booing the fans, say, just say to the fans, hey, man, you think I want to lose? I'm out. It bothers me. It bothers you when we lose. It bothers me when we lose. I'm out here just trying to get better every day, trying to do what I can. Like, it doesn't, I, I'm just saying, you have, you pay your money, you have the right to say what you want, you can boo me, but just to let you know, I'm not trying to play poorly. If you handle it like that, while, other than saying, oh, no, thumbs down to the fans, screw them, like, well, hey, like, these, a lot of these people are paying a lot of money. Like, it's, it's the way you deal with it. It's the way you handle it. And I look at RJ, and he has done a terrific job in handling what is a rough time in New York now. And, and maybe, as LeBron said, maybe he's next, not just for the NBA, for the Knicks. And we've talked about this with Julius Randle. He was ter- with Justin Termini. He was terrific last year. But was that the blip? Or is this year the blip? And when you compare this year to all the other years he's had, this year looks like all the others. So maybe last year was the blip where he played well. And and everybody expected that or to play at that level, and it's not happening. So, um, yeah, the Knicks probably feeling a little bit of pressure, especially with the praise and the accolades that new front office got last year and how well they played. It's a different story right now. By the way, just to put to uh, to to bed some some chatter on LeBron James and and uh, getting up shots with high schoolers and whatnot. Did you see the story last week? I mean, listen, it makes sense. If I was LeBron James, I'd be saying and doing the exact same thing or thinking the exact same thing. But but word has it that um, he's either let it be known or there's there's strong speculation, strong understanding, perhaps even that if knock on wood, if he is still healthy enough and able to do so in a couple of years, which I would imagine he will be. He wants to play with his kid. And Jonesy, tell me you wouldn't want to play with your kid. I know I would. It's going to be interesting to watch how this unfolds, right? Wherever Bronny goes, like wherever Bronny goes, because it's only a couple years away, can't imagine he's going to be in school very long. I got to assume it's a one and done, if not trying to find some other way to jump to the big time as quick as possible. And whether he ends up going to the, I don't know, the Sacramento Kings or the New York Knicks or wherever it is, LeBron James wants to play with his kid before he retires. And what a story that would be, right? So the idea of, of, of LeBron retiring as a Laker, unless somehow, some way, the Lakers are able to swindle some deal to acquire Bronny James or the draft rights to him, 
That's gonna be that's gonna be fun to watch. Like I hope it happens. I hope it does. We're still a couple of years away, but I really hope that we get to see that because that to me that would be unbelievable to see father son together on the same team. It would it would be cool. It would be cool. And and uh, I mean I think about it now. I'm luck- lucky and thrilled enough to be able to take my son out or my daughter out and play golf with them. And that's just on a a recreational Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon or or Friday night. Uh, imagine what it would be like playing with your, you know, with your kid at at the highest level. That would be something. Um, but let's let's see how it goes. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But it would be great to see it. All right, let's shift our attention back to the Toronto Raptors when we continue on Smith and Jones. Uh, Toronto beginning a uh, very busy stretch, much like they had last week. Three games in four nights as Toronto plays Monday tonight, Wednesday, and Thursday. And it all starts on a three-game road trip with a tilt against the Hornets this evening in Charlotte. And we will chat about that ball game next when we continue on Smith and Jones. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Game day for the Toronto Raptors as well, so you get a double dip of Smith and Jones. You've got us right now until noon, and then we're back again this evening for the call of the Raptors and Hornets from Charlotte and joining us on the line right now, the television voice of the Hornets, Eric Collins. Eric, thanks for the time today. Hey, yeah, my pleasure, and I'm thrilled you guys are double dipping, man. I, uh, I'm i going to give it one time a day. It's either 10 o'clock in the morning or it's 7 o'clock at night. I, I can't do twice anymore. <laughs> well, listen, uh, I don't know that we can either, but we try to. I'm, we're, we're highly caffeinated, and that, that's about the way it goes, I suppose. And plus, unfortunately, we're not traveling right now, so maybe that, that saves us a little bit more energy not being on the airplane. I wish, though, I wish we were in Charlotte because I miss, I miss going to a lot of cities, but I definitely miss coming to Charlotte as well, Eric. Well, uh, let me paint the picture for you. It is rainy. It is gray. Um, it's, well, in Fahrenheit, it's about 45 degrees, which in Celsius would be, what, 150? I don't know. Um, so you don't really don't want to be down here. It is, uh, it is nasty. Okay, hold, hold on. on. E. Hold on. Yeah, yeah Jones, Eric, you want to paint Eric, the picture Eric. for him? You, want to go, you go ahead and paint Eric, the picture then. L- yeah. Let me give you a picture here, my brother. <laughs> it is sunny, as it would be in Jamaica. But it is 18 degrees, no, sorry, it is 27 degrees, 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, wait, hold on, Jonesy, I've got 32 where I am. Ooh, I got an extra no, four degrees on you. <laughs> my, my watch says minus, minus two, so where right. I am. I'm, for, I'm, for, I'm closer to the pole, you know that, Eric, I'm closer to the North Pole. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and Mr. Collins... I will not see the grass on my front lawn till maybe April second. Oh goodness! That's how you much know, you snow guys, we uh, got. That, yeah. about me. Yeah. I, uh, I actually, I think I went to college further north than where you guys are right now. I went to a small school in upstate New York called St. Lawrence University. It's in Canton, New York. It's over. It's like two hours north of Syracuse. And at one point, I heard some factoid that it is the school in the United States. Uh, the private school in the United States that is closest to an international border. Um, so we were like right there, right across the border from um, from Canada. You should pop over to Montreal all the time and have a good old time. Yeah, 
Yeah, this, hmm. there's, a, there's a good time to be had in Montreal. Um, all right, Eric, uh, who, who would have thought, who would have thought that at this point, 50-odd games into the season, we'd be talking about uh, two teams that are battling right now for that sixth seed in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. And, and maybe you thought that, but I thought going into the season, Charlotte was going to make some noise. They'd be in the mix. I didn't know where, 10, 8, 6, somewhere in that mix. Many people didn't think the Raptors would be here. And, Eric, we've spent a great deal of time today talking about, and Jonesy, for what, the last month at least, talking about how jammed the East is and who's going to be on the outside looking in when the dust settles because there are 10, 12 teams right now that are legitimately in the mix. You know, everyone down here in Charlotte is thrilled that you characterize uh, the Hornets as battling uh, right now because they are doing anything but battling. Uh, the Hornets have fallen apart like a $3 suitcase. Since we last saw you guys, you guys have gone 6-1. and one, We've gone 2-5. and five. Uh, the, the worm has totally turned. You know, we used to be in a strong position at 7th, dreaming of 6-5. and five, And right now we're kind of clinging on to that ninth spot um, in the East. The offense has totally left the Hornets. And I realize these things are cyclical, and you guys have been in a funk this year. And this is our chance to be in a, in a funk, and, you know, can we get out of it quickly is going to be the question. Um, but the Hornets' offense right now has just been a significant issue. You know, for year, or for the entire year, the Hornets have been second in offensive rating, just doing fantastic stuff on that end of the floor. Uh, gross points, 115 a night they've been averaging. But for the last two weeks, it's been you know it's been a struggle to get to 95. You know, we had that one game since we saw you where for some reason the stars were aligned and you know dogs were kissing cats. It was crazy. We scored 158 points in Indiana. And since that time, you know, the 100, except for once. It's, it's just been a real slog. So uh, we'll see what we get tonight. But the Hornets do need to turn it around. There's still two games over 500. But it was, what, four games ago, there were six games over 500. And things were, were sunny and smiley around this organization. Uh, Eric, what, what, I mean, there are some guys, and, 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 you know, Eric and I were talking about, even with the All-Star, like, like I look at the top, Seven, eight teams. Well, eight teams now, considering Charlotte has dropped to ninth. But the top ten, they're the only team without a a, repre- a representative in the All Star game. Miles Bridges is a guy that I I think he's he's going to get some chatter around most improved. I thought Lamelo was doing a really good job leading them, and I know it's been tough times recently. But what what has you know? Can you put your finger on what do you think it might be? That has, that has had this team just turn the wrong way so far? You know, you know, there may be something to the fact that, you know, there has been a lot of chatter about All-Star and are the Hornets going to get some recognition on a national level? Will DeMello be an All-Star at the age of 20? You know, has Miles Bridges done enough to make his first All-Star team in his fourth year? And it, it seems as if you had to point a finger at anyone's, at any position group, it's the starters. It has not been putting up numbers like they have at the beginning of the season. Maybe there hasn't been the same amount of sharing in the basketball, the same amount of community spirit, the same amount of joy and wonder that they had been playing with. I, you know, I don't know. You know. But you look at the plus minuses for the guys over the last couple of weeks, and generally the guys coming off the bench, the P.J. Washingtons of the world, you know, the Cody Martins, you know, those guys are putting up the numbers that you would normally associate with them. But the Hornets are getting beat in that first quarter when the starters are playing together. They're getting beat at the beginning of the third quarter when they come out and the starters are playing as a group as well. And that's been kind of a common theme uh, during this tailspin for the Hornets. So I don't, you know, I can't get inside these guys' heads and say, hey, you know, they're they're, they're trying to gun for that last, you know, 
maybe being Kevin Durant's replacement in the All-Star game, or maybe their chapter Fred Van Bleek took that All-Star spot that maybe someone thought that they were going to have. Uh, I, I have no idea. I, don't get me wrong. I love Fred Van Bleek. Fred Van Bleek is a you know, full-branded, phenomenal champion All-Star, in my opinion. I've been a big fan of Fred Van Bleek. But I'm just trying to figure out what has happened to this Hornets team. And something clearly is, is amiss. And it could change as quickly as tonight. You know, who knows? But right now, the Hornets uh, can't get out of their own way right now. And, and they're losing winnable games at home. You know, we've been spending the majority of the time this entire season talking about what a bear the first two months of the season was. You know, we had already had two you got through it. trips before Christmas happened. We're like, oh, my goodness, we're downhill. We're on a toboggan right now. This is great. And now we've gotten to that downhill portion of the schedule, and we're not making hay. Speaking with Eric Collins, uh, television voice of the Hornets, Raptors, and Hornets getting set to go toe-to-toe tonight down in Charlotte. Eric, uh, we referenced this. In fact, I think I said it 20 minutes ago for, for the 19th time in the last three days probably. We hate the fantasy trades. We don't do the rumors and all that. But I, just talking in generalities, as Thursday approaches, with the team struggling a little bit, but heck, still two games above 500, do you sense that Charlotte is looking to make a move, tweak or anything, or do they like what they have, do you think, generally, and, and, and stay with the core and kind of stay the course? Well, there's a young core that I know the Hornets are thrilled with, and it's the first time that the Hornets have been able to identify multiple young players and say these are guys that we want to commit to uh, pay eventually and, and go forward with. Clearly, Miles Bridges, clearly LaMelo Ball. Um, but the one issue that has cropped up this year, and it's been perennial, um, the Hornets have had significant issues with rim protection. You know, we get guys like Jared Allen, who looks like Will Chamberlain against us. You know, we get seven dunks in the first two quarters. You know, guys like Daniel Gafford and Christian Wood, um, Clint Capella, athletic bigs who have, you know, no desire to do anything except for go to the rim, they usually feast against the Hornets. And that's been an issue. Um, Try to stop the guys. It's one of the main issues why the Hornets get up to slow starts. It seems as if the scouting report of the Hornets is attack early, you know, roll to the cup and see if they're going to try and defend without fouling. And it hasn't worked. So I I think that's a clear clear need for the Hornets is trying to find some kind of big, and I don't know who it would be, but some kind of big that's going to offer some form of protection at the rim because it's just it's demoralizing on a night-to-night basis to have Jared Allen just kissing the rim six times in the first two quarters. You know, it's at some point you got to fight back. Eric, what what do you think they? I mean, maybe it's the weight of expectations. I'm listening to you talk, and last year as part of the play-in. Um, you know, they got a little experience. And, and as you said, this year started off well. And I, too, looked at the schedule. And uh, it's something that Eric Smith and I can talk to that the Raptors had a couple of years ago. You got all your West Coast stuff done uh, before All-Star break. You don't go to the – you don't go – you don't leave your time zone except for a couple times to the central time zone on a one-off here or there. Do you, how much do you think expectations are a part of this? Um, after what happened last year and being part of the play-in scenario? Yeah, it's a good call. You know, the, the Hornets, one of the things that they have done is they've tried to make um, winning a priority uh, for guys that they scout. You know, to the guys that they're bringing in as draft choices are guys who've been part of good programs. You know, Miles Bridges, a huge part of who he was when they looked at his resume, it was not just 6'6", 230, you know, with a 45-inch vertical, but they also love the fact that he had committed to play for Tom Izzo for two years. 
and was learning the val- and learned the value of winning and playing at a high level of competitive games. Um, the Hornets have been talking for so long about that type of attitude and the winning, and it just it's, it seems so odd to me that this year that the Hornets, with the players that they have and with the mission that they had at the beginning of the season, they were playing winning basketball. And don't get me wrong, this has really just been kind of a four or five game funk for the Hornets. But for 49 games, the Hornets are playing winning basketball. Sometimes they didn't always win, but it's been the last couple of where that has kind of wavered a little bit. And the Hornets are trying to get back to that because there are expectations with this year's team. These are guys who have won before in the collegiate level, um, before they got to the NBA, and they're trying to get back to that right now. But no one collectively, with the exception of the two older guys who used to be Celtics, Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, has experienced winning big in the NBA level. So I just think that there needs to be two consecutive days off, guys getting in the gym, Guys getting refocused, not thinking about the All-Star game, not thinking about the All-Star break, and getting back to playing the basketball that they had played for three months to put them in a position to actually have this four-game losing streak and still be in play for what they're hoping for to get down the line. Yeah. Eric, who who surprised you, basically, over the course of this year so far? I know it's, like you said, there's been a little bit of a funk right now, but who surprised you probably – uh, more than anybody else when you look at what's happened this year? Well, I know the easiest answer is Miles Bridges, but it, it kind of is. You know, the guy, he came into the league, yeah. and I knew he was going to be athletic. I knew he was going to be a high-motor guy, but I just didn't understand the level of skill and the level of desire to be really great that he had. And the thing that makes Miles unique, besides the fact that he's got just ridiculous vertical leap and ridiculous strength, is the fact that he's so – I've never seen anyone who is as ambidextrous as he is. You know, he's a born yeah. right-handed. He does everything right-handed, but he broke his right arm, so he started to shoot left. He will only use his left arm to shoot free throws and to shoot threes. But anytime he's inside the paint, it is going to be with the right hand. More often than not, we do the numbers. I think he had made like 160 right-handed shots and only 65 left-handed shots inside the three-point line. And that just makes him a really hard card, a hard cover, because his brain is always saying, I can go with my right hand, but his body's always saying, you know, if I need to, I can go with my left. And he's jumping off the wrong foot, and he's just putting it up with crazy spins, and he's got the athletic ability to get into the spots to get those shots off. So the fact that he's put it all together this year and been a 20-point-a-night guy, to me, he's been the biggest surprise. I, I kind of thought he'd be a 15-point guy, six rebounds for his career, and, and be a really solid pro. But he's broken through in that uh, – in the offensive category, a little bit more than I would have expected. Hey, Eric, we appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Have a great call tonight, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you before the end of the year. All the best. Eric, Paul, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. There is Eric Collins, television voice of the Charlotte Hornets, as the Raptors get set to go toe-to-toe against the Hornets tonight. 7 o'clock start down in Charlotte as the Raptors again begin a stretch of three games in four nights, again tonight in Charlotte, and then Jonesy the back-to-back on Wednesday, Thursday with Oklahoma City and Houston as well. The Raptors then coming back home for a date against the Nuggets on Saturday. And just quickly, actually, not to get too far ahead, we'll talk about them later in the week, but how about the Nuggets right now? Uh-huh. All the stuff they've been yeah. through this year, they're in a locked-in playoff spot as we speak with a 29-24 and record. Impressive what Mike Malone and the Nuggets have done. Yeah, and... and uh... You know, back to the Raptors, Eric, when you talk about three games and four nights, who would have thought, as we said off the top of the the show here, 
five games and seven nights last week, and the Raptors run the table. And yeah. now they've got three and four nights, and all with teams that, you know, Charlotte's struggling, and then OKC and Houston are 14 and 15, respectively, in the Western Conference, and they probably feel like they owe uh, one. There's a little get-back with OKC. I mean, I, I should pump the brakes, and I, I am kind of downshifted into second gear here, not to get ahead or try to go too quickly, but Raptors have won five in a row. This thing could, this thing could get to seven or eight, uh, you know, or seven uh -oh. of eight. Or, uh -oh. I mean, they could... I mean, just look at the way they're playing right now. So, yep. I mean, if you're Toronto, you don't look at it like that. You you look at the guy that's in front of you, the play that's in front of you, the possession that's in front of you, and 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 you attack it that way. But um, a lot of people starting to take notice of of the Toronto Raptors and and the way they have been playing. Well, listen. Speaking of taking notice, I mean, power rankings are what they are. They're just somebody's opinion of the team, but. The worldwide leader, the NBA power rankings that came out within the last couple of hours, sitting in the top 15, the top half of the league at number 13, the Toronto Raptors. So people are starting to take notice of what this club is doing. Again, the Raptors heading into their tilt tonight against the Hornets, 28-23, and 23, having won five in a row, sitting in the sixth seed. And we will talk more about the Raptors and a whole lot more when we continue, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review and share as well.